You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm Claire O'Brien, your hostess with the mostess. Um, so we are recording actually on my back porch today. I you know I told some of you guys um, on Instagram, I just, so I took a break for a little while because I love being able to record in person with my producer. It sounds so much better. She's so good at basically telling me what to do and how to sound not just absurd. And, but I wanted to take a break while everything was really significant with COVID and it still very much is. We had done one over the phone, but it's, it's hard. If it's one person on the phone, that's one thing. But when everyone involved is on the phone, I just felt like, I don't know, I didn't want it to sound like that for, um, knowing that I had so many people that I could do in person in Charleston. And anyway, so today, apologies, we are on my back porch. Um, so if you're like, what is that um, car sound or the the birds or perhaps a child? I hope there will not be any children because they're supposed to be inside. But um, anyway, that's why we're on the porch. So it should sound better than the phone, but there just may be some other noise. So today I wanted to wrangle um, my husband, Ed, who if you listen to the first episode where we talked about, um, gosh, how that feels like a literal eternity ago. I mean, whoa, but it really wasn't even that long ago. I think it was only about six weeks ago when we recorded that episode. Um, feels like five years, but we recorded, it's so interesting now in hindsight, beginning of March, we were still downtown. We were at the hospital in an office. Like I can't, I mean, now that would be like, Oh God. Oh no, you can't do like, you can't do any of that. So we were all in like an enclosed space together, unmasked. I mean, we had hand sanitizer just because of Ed, but that's, I mean, that's it. And it, he knew at the time, you know, what was coming. It just wasn't really here yet. So today we're on my porch. Lindsay is several feet away from us, more than six. Um, Ed and I will sit next to each other because we do, in fact, cohabitate. Um, but it's just kind of wild to think about episode one, which was not long ago to now how things have changed um, so dramatically. So kind of updates on our life before I grab Ed. So Ed is working from home. Um, a lot of y'all know. So he's trained as a physician. He's done internal medicine. He'd actually did extra training and worked in the emergency room for a long time, emergency and critical care. But um, he's been working from home for about two months because he, in the last year or so, has kind of transitioned into more of a, an um, like executive administrative role where he does um, kind of building out programs for business health, telemedicine, and, and stuff like this, honestly. So this is his Super Bowl. I, it's so, I, I mean, gosh, I keep saying wild and fascinating, but I kind of, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around. So Ed literally told me in January of this year. So think back six weeks ago, we were in an enclosed room together. We knew it was coming, but like everything, we were still being totally normal. Ed in January told me, you know, the kids aren't going back to school for the rest of the year, right? And I was like, 
okay. Like, I mean, I literally just was like, you're such an alarmist because he is a, has a touch of alarmism during the flu season. Those of y'all who know him, um, bless it. But I, I just was, I honestly wasn't taking him seriously at all. And I mean, no one would have, if he had told anybody that they would have been like, what are you talking about? Um, but Ed, started building out the infrastructure that our hospital needed for the state of South Carolina to have. We have an outdoor testing facility, which a lot of people have now, but we were actually the second place in the nation to have it. Um, New York, I believe, was first, and we were second. And he was building that um, infrastructure starting in January. So this is like literally his Super Bowl. I don't know or understand what he does all day. All I know is that he is literally on the phone from probably eight o'clock in the morning till usually like nine or 10 at night, he's on the phone and then he's on the computer until, I don't know, like one or two. Cause I go to bed. I mean, I don't know. It's, I know it's a lot. Lindsay's like <laughs> a bug eyed. I know it's a lot. Um, so there's just a lot behind the scenes that he has to set up all of the telemedicine stuff. We're seeing several, literally thousand patients per day on telemedicine sometimes. Um, yeah, so it's just a lot, but I'm going to try to pin him down on some answers for you guys today because a lot of people asked, when are we going back to normal life? When are we, you know, allowed to do this? When are we allowed to play with friends? And just a lot of questions. And some of it's going to be unclear, I think, for everybody for a really long time. But let me see if I can nail him down and get some better answers because I don't really ask anymore from him. I just don't want to know. I'm like, I don't. If I want to be super depressed, I'll talk to Ed, basically. Also, he's he's not out here yet. I have to go get him out of his office. Two things. First of all, at least once a day, our two-year-old, just as like a funny visual, at least once a day, our two-year-old will stick her face under the door. And she can she talks, but she it's like a baby talk. And she, she stick her face under his door. And she's like, Ed, wet me in your womb. <laughs> So if you've been on a conference call with him and you've heard that, that's real life. Anyway, so that's kind of funny. And then secondly, um, he is not out here yet. So I can tell y'all we're in like the biggest fight. Um, so this morning, this morning, I almost had to cancel Lindsay because he was like, I'm not doing the podcast today. You're not, I'm not doing it. I can't. You're, and then he's told me, you're just using me for the podcast. And I was like, first of all, you're not that important, which he is. Clearly, I can really answer these questions or do this without him today. I just thought, yeah, that was funny, and y'all would want to know that. And it's fine. We're fine. It's just we are – we're a solid, like, two months in. I mean, everybody is pretty far in, but we're a little bit further in than everybody else. And so, I mean, one of us might kill the other one. I don't know. Anyway, here he comes. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been on vacation. I've been uh, flying around the world and um, just doing vacation things. No one appreciates your sarcasm <laughs> right now. I told everyone that we are on each other's nerves. Um, I am on your nerves. <laughs> it goes one way. You're not really on mine. But oh, please. The way it goes. Well, I accept. Um, so... I got a lot of questions about the situation, the current situation. Do you have anything specific that you would like to say to the listeners of the Dabble Code podcast? 
Um, no, except for I'm finding some silver linings in the quarantine. Like, I like my house better now. Wait, don't give that away at the beginning. Oh. Maybe that should be our cl- the closer uh, of, like, after all the... Ne- all right. Why don't we go through the negative first okay. and then close it out with a silver lining? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Negatives. Go. Negatives. Well, I think um, the coronavirus has been shown to do some things that we didn't necessarily expect up front, um, especially with the blood coagulation has been interesting to find. Blood clots. Blood clots. Yeah, it's been interesting and it makes sense in some regard because of pro-inflammatory uh, condition, but the level of, of blood clotting and, and blood clotting disorders that have been reported uh, are very, very high, which is very interesting. Um, specifically in young people, right? Well, Younger, I mean, like, uh, you know, there's an article that came out that said it's seven times higher risk of, uh, I think, stroke and maybe heart attack in people in their 30s and 40s, or maybe it was 20s and 30s. Um, but, uh, uh, it, um, you know, that's seven times a very, very, very small number. Uh, so I imagine it's extremely high in the older population. That's kind of terrifying a little bit as a person in my twenties and thirties. Yes. As someone in their early twenties, you should be very concerned. Someone in their fifties like me, you know, um, (laughs) is, I think it's going to be even worse. Mm -hmm. And that's new. Like we didn't know that was not, not new that it's happening, but I guess, man, this is a rambly question. Um, So there are new things coming out as more and more people get diagnosed and get treated and move through the various courses of the illness. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, that there are new things we are discovering about what it's capable of and blood clotting after you've had the virus or during is something that wasn't necessarily reported from China or Italy, correct? Um, There's some things in China early on where they use D-dimer levels over a certain percent, and that shows like a, it's like a marker of potential clotting in the blood, Um, led to an increased mortality, so you would do worse if you had a high level, but I don't think, you know, what's the troubling thing is, and um, is that some of the, it's hard to trust a lot of the Chinese data, and I think that's another thing that's kind of come to light is, you know, we certainly can't trust the demographic data, it doesn't seem like, uh, to a large degree. Um, you know, it's the only country in the whole world that data looks wildly different. Um, well, not the only, but one of the only. And, and I think, uh, so that being said, I have heard some people in academics saying it's more difficult to trust some of the Chinese uh, sure. academic data as well. And because they just, like, make stuff up. and I don't know. Hmm. I think... I think they drive the conversation. Ed's to more their politically benefit. correct than I am. They attempt to drive so to their benefit. You will know. not straight say it. Um, so, what about rapid testing? A lot of people want to know because we feel like rapid testing is going to be key to kind of moving forward to somewhat more normalcy. So, where are we in rapid testing? I mean, I think testing has made some great strides since the last podcast. I think, um, you know, rapid testing is done in that we have rapid tests, it's just we don't have any supply of them. Like the rapid test, for example, Abbott has a great rapid test. I think it's a 15-minute turnaround test with really good sensitivity and specificity for active disease. And I think uh, like a rapid flu would be, you know, when you go into your doctor's office for pretty fast, um, it's just the supply is not out there. And, and, and the truth is any testing, we need any testing, not just rapid. Um, we, we don't have a good supply of any test. Will you um, explain to people, I, I feel like people not in the medical field keep coming up with these solutions that they feel like should should be available right now. So why 
and without understanding the complex, incredibly complex inner working of how, how you, how do you even develop a rapid test? I mean, how long, typically that takes years. I mean, we didn't get rapid flu until, gosh, just, I mean, rapid flu was what, 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like that was pretty recent. I don't know. I don't know when rapid flu was. I know we have something called a respiratory pathogen panel or an R respiratory viral panel. Some people call it. Um, those are relatively new, a little bit more expensive. The truth is that technology has picked up a lot over the last several years because you can rapidly sequence, you know, those RNA viruses and DNA viruses and look for look for them in in our um, machines pretty quickly. So, you know, the science is there. Um, it, it doesn't have as much to do with the science as it has to do with the supply chain. Um, so, you know, having a solution versus having a solution that is mass producible are two different things. Right. Because there are plenty of rapid or quote unquote rapid tests or antibody tests that are out there right now, which you've said plenty of times have huge flaws in them. And can, can you explain that? Sure. I mean, I would make the argument that, you know, four hours is rapid, you know, 12 hours is rapid. You know, that's pretty, that's plenty enough time to make an educated decision about a virus like this. Mm-hmm. What's well, not rapid is the early days when we were seeing five to seven day turnarounds, right? right? So then someone who was potentially infectious would go out there and maybe not be quarantined or whatever. Um, now, stuff like antibody tests is true. You have the FDA uh, issuing emergency use authorization for certain tests. Uh, and then um, you have a lot of tests out there, um, like antibody tests especially, that don't have a high sensitivity or specificity to them. What does that mean? Um, so basically... They sensitivity and specificity. I'm not going to get into too much detail because I, I really did not Just for like people statistics. who don't. Um, you know, but uh, I don't uh, need you to. They basically mean, you know, the number. What percent of the time are you going to get a false positive or a false negative, mm-hmm. and what percent of the time is it going to be totally right in layman's terms? Yeah. So, so in other words, if something is, you would say, I think most people would say, oh, if I'm 95 percent accurate, that's pretty good. You know, only five percent of the time did I get a false positive, for example, uh, sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say 95% is pretty good. You know, I'd, I'd give that. If I had a 95% chance of picking the stock right, I'd be totally fine with that. So, but the unfortunate thing is it, it depends on prevalence, disease prevalence. So, you know, if you have a thousand people come through and you're 95% accurate, well, that means 5% of that thousand is inaccurate, or that might be a false, false positive or, or false negative. Depending Whereas on now we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Yeah, so and it, 5% is a huge deal. It's a huge deal, and that's fine if the disease prevalence or the penetrance or whatever, how many people in the community have the disease is 100%, right? So then, oh, you missed 5%, but you got 95% right, but everybody has. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, if only it. 5% of the people have it, and you're also 5% inaccurate, all of your data could it's technically be inaccurate. It's a lot of math right now, I feel like. I don't... Yeah, I, it's, yeah it's too much math. It's a lot of... Uh, there's some easy, just Google not a mathematician. sensitivity versus specificity, and it, it, it'll, it's a lot easier to figure out. I'm just telling, I, I've heard people call and ask about specific tests and I, wanting to get things that are available more commercially, and you have explained to them quite well, I think, you know, the likelihood of that being correct and then kind of the ramifications of each specific test, you know, whether it is correct or not. So, but with that, somebody asked me too to ask you, um, so we still don't know. So antibody testing would, the point of antibody testing for people that don't know. So there's a couple of different things we're talking about. One is a rapid test or a test at all, just to tell you whether you're positive or negative right then. So if you're sick, you go to the testing center, you just want to know whether you have COVID 
right then. So that if you're sick and you're contagious, you don't then, you should be social distancing anyway, but you may want to quarantine from your family or your children or whatever. Then we're talking about the antibody test, which simply tells you whether you've had it at all. Not whether you're sick right now, but maybe you had it two months ago. And the reason we would want to know that is because we know that in certain viruses or um, diseases, if you've had it prior, you either are less likely to get it again or that it offers you some protection the next time around. Now, in this specifically, we don't know. There are cases where the people have been either reinfected or never were not really positive. And we just, we just don't have enough data yet to say, is that correct? You're, you're kind of looking at me. I don't think there's... I was waiting for you to finish. I thought <laughs> there might be an end. Don't um, hold your breath. The, uh, uh, so there's not cases necessarily of reinfection. So there's cases where they've swabbed people a certain number of days out from their primary infection and the swab for the PCR, for that means the virus is still there, is positive for a prolonged period of time. Sorry after, about the birds. After they, were, after they would have expected, after they recovered clinically, I'll say. That does not mean they're reinfected. That just means maybe they're shedding virus for a really long time. That did, it doesn't even necessarily mean they're infectious. Um, probably does, but never, never hard to say. But talk about in the, like in context of an antibody test but the antibodies yeah the antibodies and this is this is confusing so what's happened is basically a bunch of these antibody tests have come out some rapid where you kind of prick your finger and they want to do it at home and all this kind of stuff and we've um uh, have some of those that we've uh kind of trialed uh and then there's these more intense ones where you go get your blood drawn uh, and they have really good sensitivity and specificity in the 99 range um jeff hayden if you're listening it's actually 99 range um and also, oh, uh, that was a nerd singer <laughs> for you guys. So, uh, Jeff Hayden, I can tell you, is not listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, anyway, um, th- there's those. Um, and the World Health Organization basically came out and said, oh, we don't have, they, they came out and said, that doesn't, inc- we have no evidence that that incurs any um, protection. Well, you know, this is... We, just, we don't know. Typical world health. Yeah, but if you went and, and surveyed, you know, immunologists all over the world and said, do you think it's more or less likely that it incurs some level of immunity? They would say, yeah, it's more likely that it incurs some level of immunity. You don't know what level of immunity. You don't know how long the immunity lasts. Sure. But it doesn't mean you should poo-poo all the antibody tests, right? Right. And it also doesn't mean that if you're a positive antibody, you're somehow you know, miraculously cured from not ever having COVID or anything and you right. should not wear your mask or any of that kind of stuff. It certainly does not mean that. Um, like either. flu, I mean, it's the concept of the, the flu shot. I mean, even if you get the flu shot and it doesn't completely protect you from that specific strain, it still, in theory, gives your immune system a better chance at having a full response like what it needs to. Uh, right? I mean, yeah, I get the immune response part is right. The flu is different because there's actually different strains. We don't know that there's enough genetic variation in the strains of COVID to make that kind of a... Oh, gosh. I just, I try to make an example <laughs> that people can understand and it's like, Meh. Man, the genomics of the strain of the virus. I can't. Um, okay, so let's talk about some very specific situations that people would like to know about. And what are you? What is your opinion on? Like yes or no? Go ahead and do that because now, what's today? Today's April twenty eighth, and this will probably come out sometime. It'll be May something. Um, so restrictions in some states are starting to loosen a little bit, number one. Number two, people are getting quarantine fatigue and just kind of over it and, like, not doing what they should be doing, whether, whether it's legal or not. So 
family, I think, is what people are asking the most about. Uh, they want to see friends, obviously, but family is kind of first. So what do you what do you think about, you know, the people that are just ready to see parents, cousins, whatever? I think the family thing is it's so individualistic. Uh, it's hard to say. I think, um, you know, uh, your parents, I don't know, depending upon their age, obviously, are probably at the highest risk of, uh, of having complications from this disease if you were to if they were to get it um you know so so i would just take the same kind of precautions it's like i'm gonna go see my parents probably this weekend they haven't been anywhere in probably six weeks we haven't been anywhere the kids haven't been anywhere so we feel super comfortable with that i have it was interesting i had so many women asking me about because they were gonna have a baby in a couple weeks or just had a newborn or situations like that and it was really interesting (laughs) to see all these different situations. Some people were writing in and saying, you know, my parents have been really great. Gosh, the birds, if it's not the wind, it's the birds are just really out today. Um, I hope you guys can feel the warmth and the nature that we are basking in right now. If you're up North, sorry, it's a lovely day down here. Um, so everybody was so different. I mean, you're right, but it was really fascinating to me to hear how many people's parents who are certainly obviously a solid 20 years older than we are. They're like, yeah, they're having barbecues. They're hanging out with their friends. You know, they say they're social distancing, but like they're going to the grocery store. I mean, they're just not doing it. And so in that case, people with a newborn, I was like, well then that's a no, that's absolutely not for me. I mean, I assume you're, you would agree with that, but yeah, I mean, I think people's impression and interpretation of social distancing and <laughs> quarantine or whatever you want to call it is very, very, very different. Um, so, you know, and you can't track what everything other people do. A lot of people say, right. I've done nothing. But and then they're like, oh, well, you know, well, I did go to, you know, this restaurant and pick this up. And no, oh, no, I, I actually had to go to, you know, I don't Walmart. Know. Yeah, Walmart. And I was in there for two hours. And All right. Well, that's different than someone who's gotten everything to deliver to their house or whatever. You know, it's just. It's, it's different. I was telling Lindsay, we went the other night. We have a golf cart. And so we went on a little golf cart ride outside. It was lovely, just the two of us. And in this neighborhood next to us, how many people? There were probably 20, 25 older. When I say older, I mean in their 70s, not like people who are just older than us. I mean, we're talking about these are senior citizens all out in their dadgum cul-de-sac. And they're like waving us over and we look I mean we were like no and we turned I mean, we obviously we turned around but I was like guys what it like we I feel like are busting ass to like protect you guys like what are you doing it made me kind of mad anyway I digress but um people just really want to know I think definitive answers on timelines of when they're going to be able to do things and it's just really hard to answer so I just kind of wanted some of your thoughts on that because it's hard for me to answer and I I don't know I would say that if you want to know what timelines are accurate um, if the timeline you are choosing as accurate uh, happens to fall on party lines like Democrats and Republicans don't agree well that's probably not a right right timeline to choose Uh, you know so I think uh, what's interesting about these these timelines are so wildly different in different places. And they should be in certain places because, you know, certain places have done a better job, you know, like look at California and look at Washington State. Now they might have been dealing with it earlier and so they've done a really, really good job. So they may be able to come out of things earlier. But you just go by the guidelines that Harvard and CDC and Hopkins and everybody's put out of stage reopening, right? Be smart about it. Some businesses absolutely have to reopen. They're essential. 
to survival of our country. And so, you know, if they're going to do that, you know, do it in a logical way where you're testing appropriately, uh, quarantining people appropriately who may be sick, you know, making sure you have the right um, protective equipment for all your staff, uh, all those kind of things. If you can do that, then I think that's time to look at a stage reopening. And the truth is this, every business needs their own Dr. Fauci, basically, right? They need somebody, somebody to come in there. Somebody in charge. Yeah, and kind of advise I mean, walk them through uh, what they should do. Like, what does social distancing mean in a, um, in a restaurant, you know, versus a retail store, versus a manufacturing store, right? Those are very, very, very different things. I would, uh, they'll need wildly different recommendations on, on what to do. Um, not wildly, but very different. And so having a director or someone who can uh, come in and kind of walk them through that up front is important. That's what we're, we're doing that actually at MUSC now. Well, even, I mean, I had to take my car to the shop yesterday. I was literally like about to run out of oil. My thing was like freaking out every time. And my car has been wait- making a super weird noise. It's almost on month two. And we had kind of been waiting, but I just, I mean, I had to take it in. So I'm wearing my gloves, my N95. I have my cabicide wipes. Like I have supplies because I'm a medical provider. I go in there. Nobody really was in there. So that was great. But not one person in there was wearing a mask. The dude just kind of acted like, welcome, welcome here. I mean, was like walked right up to me and was like, can I have your key? I was like, oh my God, what is happening right now? I mean, it felt like Baker Motor Company. Did not get it at all. I mean, never saw anybody with a hand sanitizer. I mean, nothing. And to me, that was totally unacceptable. I don't know. I maybe I'll write them a terse email. Yeah, that's unacceptable, and it's and and they have the resources to do it. So yeah, I would say that's pretty. That's unacceptable. Thank you for concurring with me. I mean, that's especially in this environment. Um, I doubt they're. I don't know. They need somebody to walk through it with them. Obviously, they need help. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but that's the thing, right? And it's, it's always the lowest common denominator. You know, if if the grocery stores are doing great and limiting people and doing all that kind of stuff and wearing masks, but then like the auto repair shops aren't. Well, you which know. is pretty essential. I mean, it's not like I'm driving a whole lot of places, but I do have to do the deliveries for one of our businesses and. You know, I mean, I'm driving every few days and my car sounds like it's going to explode. Like I had to take my car in and that's an essential business. They need to have the protocols in place to make people comfortable. Yeah. I mean, they're probably their protocol they're going to do, which they didn't offer you was to come pick up the car, which they should have done. No, I asked them. They said no. Yeah. I bet you the other dealership would do that. Well, Um, McElveen for life. Because who knew? Yeah. Um what else? What else do you feel like you need to let people know? School? Ooh, I want to, what do you think about school in the fall? I think school, oh, well. Not now. It's school not now, I'm glad they kept it close. And the truth is the schools are still closed in Wuhan. You know, I think it's interesting that Wuhan is reporting to the world that they're 80, 90% open, but all the Americans living in Wuhan are reporting they're about 20% open. No restaurants are open yet. They're only doing takeout. Mm. Um, you know, public transportation seems to be open, um, which is a risk, obviously, but everybody's masked up. And, and so I just think, you know, you can't look at some of the data we're seeing and say, oh, it's going to be some sort of rapid return to s- some normal thing. That's just not going to be the no, case. No, it's not going to be rapid at all. I mean, I think people need to understand that even then, even when the restrictions do get lifted. And I, I just think people in the States need to look a little bit. I would highly recommend people look at some other news sites like BBC or something that's not necessarily American based and just look at what's going on in like India or or um, 
What's you know, going on or in Africa India? or some of the places. I mean, people are struggling. We're, we're like, Oh, I really want to see my friends and you know, whatever. But we're zooming and we have all our meetings. A lot, a lot of people. Now a lot of people are totally. I mean, out businesses of work are. There are certain businesses. That businesses are struggling, totally but but th- there's there's hundreds of millions of people who who can't eat now. You know, because they're we're day laborers and they don't have any access to food at all. You know, yeah, and that's there's very different. there's just some massive humanitarian issues going on. And so when I hear people say like I'm really over this and I need to see my friends, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to have a lot of sympathy for that. Um, now I have a ton of sympathy for people who are, I'm out of work and having, that's happening in the United States too, or people are having some, there's some food scarcity issues going on and, and, um, uh, that kind of stuff, you know, I get pretty sympathetic towards. Yeah. And I, I think too, it's a little bit frustrating to hear people say things like, um, you know, the death toll right now is only in the 50,000s in, in America. Well, my gosh, yeah, it's that number. And look at, we've sh- literally shut down. I mean, we have totally shut down and the death toll is still in the fifties, almost sixties. Yeah. And I'll make a comment about the death toll and then about data in general. So the death toll is certainly underreported the deaths of COVID-19, right? Mm -hmm. But we've also wildly underreported the other deaths that are related to people dying at home of non-COVID-19 things. Because they're afraid to go to the hospital. Don't want to go to the hospital, you know, like, yeah. So that's another thing. And then another thing on top of that is data. We don't have enough data to test everyone or to really know uh, uh, what's true about COVID-19. But you know what we do have extremely accurate minute-to-minute data on? What? The economy. Oh. So we have really accurate data on the economy. We know millions of people are unemployed now, one of the highest unemployment since the Great Depression. We know, you know businesses are struggling, you know, all that. So, and yet we're trying to compare that data, which is incredibly accurate minute-to-minute, to COVID-19 data, which is incredibly lacking. So that's, that's the difficult, well, the whole thing is the economy is killing people and we need to open the economy because of COVID. Right. But we don't actually have, but we have all the economic data, but we don't have all the COVID data. So that makes it a challenge to compare. You're saying you can't compare. People are comparing, people want to say we need to open the economy because X, Y, and Z is happening. Whereas with COVID, it's such an unknown that you can't really compare the two. Yeah, it's just hard to make. That's the comparison everybody's making. But if we had the exact same amount of data on COVID as we had on the economy, that'd be the most informed decision we can make. And that's why in everybody's reopening plans, adequate testing is number one. Right. You know, so right. that's the idea. Is. Will you talk a little bit about, there was a thing kind of going around the internet um, that somebody sent me a couple of weeks ago, you know, kind of outrage about people being diagnosed with COVID without a formal test. What, just, can you talk a little about clinical judgment and why, why would that happen? So sure. This was more of a, from a standpoint of like, we, you know, that's to skew the data and what, you know, why would you do that? But what, why would a clinician make a diagnosis without a test? Yeah. The concept though, I'll say this, the concept of a grand scheme to skew the data um, overall is unlikely to start at that clinician level. (laughs) So, you know, uh, good point. Excellent point. So I don't think there's any, I have not gotten an email from the American medical association telling me to (laughs) skew the data to say more people have COVID. I I could have deleted it. could be in my junk folder, but you have like 800 unread emails right now. It gives me a great amount of anxiety. Yes. Yes. And they're piling up as I do this. Um, (laughs) so, uh, uh, sorry, D heck. Yeah. So there's no, I don't think there's some grand scheme there. I do think, all deaths, I mean, let's, let's, don't, let's be serious here. All deaths that don't have an autopsy, to some degree, are based on a likely cause, right? Sure. So, you know, I'm 
think it's likely you died of natural causes, you know, of a heart attack or something like that because you had heart disease, right? But if I didn't do an autopsy, I can't say 100%. Right. So same with the COVID testing. I can say you likely died of COVID, but if I didn't have a COVID test on you because they're not available, um, it's just a high likelihood. Right. Um, so I think people expect things to be based on 100% certainties in a general sense. It's just and not feasible. That's just not, well, I mean, it's it's right not now, feasible. Right now, right, it is right, not right. feasible. I mean, it's technically possible, but you can't can't do that. You know, um, I mean, yeah. I mean, UPS or your your cable guy or whatever is a good analogy. It's like I don't think there's some grand scheme to say we're going to be there between noon and five. Uh, they'd love to tell you they're going to be there at twelve thirty. You know, but but they, they have to give a window, and, and it's the same thing in medicine, right? You have there's a window, there's this margin uh, that has to be given. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. and you know, there are certain things that we know with every medical condition, not just COVID that are, that make it extremely likely. Right. So if you have these three or four symptoms, you likely have this. And what we say is don't look for the zebra, right? If there's a, a 20 horses running through a field and you see another animal running behind it, that looks like a horse. Is it a zebra or is it probably a horse? Yeah. Did I do that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, if it looks like a horse and sounds like a horse, it's probably a horse, not a zebra, you know? So, I mean, yeah. That's a better way to say but, it. But, uh, that but yeah, that's the sense. idea. Don't go chasing waterfalls is another way to put it. <laughs> Just stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, but seriously, I know you have a lot of emails and things that you have to do, so I'll let you go. But I want to say the positive thing, which oh, is... Oh, yeah, okay. Which is um, that uh, the quarantine, I had a revelation the other night. Not really a revelation, but... Um, and a little bit. It's that, uh, and I wrote an email to Claire. I was like, you know, the quarantine has done some good things for me um, in that I really appreciate my house. I appreciate the ability to be outside. I appreciate, uh, you know, just being able to spend a little more time around the kids and um, just have a larger appreciation of, of what I have. And, and I have an appreciation of the fact that I don't have to travel right now, for example, for meetings. And, and now I'm starting to think, well, maybe we shouldn't be traveling for meetings as much as we did in the past. I was telling somebody that um, yesterday that you had gotten, your job had changed and you'd gotten really busy. It was a big reason why I quit my academic job and you traveled all the time. And when you weren't traveling, there was this meeting and this dinner meeting and this, I mean, we were only home two or three nights a week, which a lot of people go through that. I mean, a lot of people experience that with their careers, but it was different for us. And so it was a really big adjustment to not seeing you that much. Um, and so this has been really difficult. Obviously, before you came out here, I was kind of describing your work day, which is no longer, I mean, nine to five is like, LOL, your day was never that, but now it's eight to two AM. I mean, it's, I like to take a two-hour break in there for dinner and exercise. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. yeah, I go back on the I mean, if that, but sometimes you don't. I mean, last night you couldn't. You were on the phone. You were exercising while you were on the phone, so you didn't get to eat dinner with us, you know. But just all that to say, like, it was a really, it's been a really sweet time to have you around a ton, have, you know, kind of forced family time, do, do a lot of things that we just weren't doing before and taken, taken for granted hugely. That's but. right. Yeah, I mean, dinner together every night is, is, a, is an a ancient, big deal. ancient concept in yeah. the United States, you know, so, but it's a good thing. We're getting creative on date night. I made uh, homemade pina coladas Saturday night. I did. Fresh pineapple, can of coconut milk, a lot of rum. Had a few. Did not feel good Sunday. Did not <laughs> true. recommend that. They tasted good. Anyway. Okay, well, love you. Thanks. Thank you.
Ed's back on the phone with, I don't know who, he gets on the phone and either paces in the driveway or paces in the backyard. It's kind of comical. Um, anyway, we were asking him, each other, what predictions did we want to know next? Because, you know, we were talking about Ed told me in January that the schools were going to close and, you know, he just started building the outdoor testing thing. Literally in January, I mean, it's crazy. I don't really want to know. I don't want to know, honestly, his next prediction. Um, I mean, I will say this. No, there will probably not be concerts in 2020. Um, travel is going to look kind of non-existent. Lindsay just mentioned Disney World, LOL. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, one thing we didn't touch on was um, was restaurants and takeout. I, I, we don't know what, what dining in a restaurant is going to look out. Are we getting takeout? We get asked that a lot. We are. I mean, not that often because, frankly, I really like to cook. Um, it's one of my... If I had a hobby, I guess it would probably be cooking. Um, and so it's been kind of nice for me to ha- to have the time um, and to really, like, think about what I'm making and plan out meals and stuff. But so we get takeout um, probably two or three times a week, and we definitely wipe the containers down with, um, you know, like a Clorox wipe or um, spray it with Lysol or whatever, or we... Um, I mean, we definitely do that regardless. And then when we get it home, we try to keep all of the stuff in kind of one little area and then transfer everything onto either paper plates or our plates. That's, that's how we are doing it. And we feel, um, we feel comfortable doing that. I think the, the likelihood is, um, you know, not crazy high anyway of the transmission on a a surface like that, but that's when it, you know, definitely could happen because the person just touched it five minutes ago when they put it in your bag. Um, so it's a little bit different even than the grocery store, whereas, you know, nobody might've touched that can behind the other can, but, um, but takeout's a little different. So we are, we're wiping it down. Um, most places are really good about taking your payment over the phone again, except Baker Motor Company, terse email here it comes I'm telling you um so you don't even have to sign the credit card receipt or I don't know take your own pen as so that's what we do we're very we're a little aggressive but but I mean if imagine if everybody was you know maybe this thing could end a lot sooner so I think the big takeaway is what we don't want to do is open things up and try to act like we're totally normal sooner than we need to because that is what's going to happen as cases are going to spike and we're going to be back in quarantine purgatory um so anyway that wraps it up i hope y'all enjoyed it thank you so much for listening if you like the show if you like this content it's super super important please rate please subscribe leave a review it helps keep us going keep me able to get guests on here to give you guys accurate information um as always if you have any questions or want to hear me talk about anything or have anybody on shoot me an email or a message um the at gmail.com or i'm at dabbleco on instagram thanks guys